Jeannie Anderson with Lucetta Ranch in Rio Grande City, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We are locked, loaded, and ready to roll with another episode of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, the U.S. cattle herd continues to shrink. The latest cattle inventory report came out from USDA and it shows there are less cattle and less cows in the cow herd. We'll take a look at that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Exports of U.S. beef for the year so far are down. What's behind the slump? I'm James Hunt and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. Another week of hot, dry, and windy conditions across Texas is increasing the potential for wildfires. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have more with the Texas A&M Forest Service on Texas Ag Today. Texas is witnessing some excessively warm weather, so is most of the southern part of the U.S. We're going to talk about how plants are responding and what we need to do. Please join me, John Beckham, as we talk about Texas heat. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. USDA's twice-a-year cattle inventory report released Friday confirms the obvious. We have fewer beef cattle and a smaller cow herd. The July 1st beef cow herd estimate now stands at 29.4 million head. That's down 2.6% from last year. Texas A&M livestock economist David Anderson says we now have the smallest cow herd in the last half century. That data goes back 50 years. Clear to 1973, the number of beef cows at 29.4 million head was actually the smallest in the data, even fewer than following our big drought of a year ago. I think the other interesting number, the number of heifers held back for beef cow replacements, that was also the fewest in the data. Uh, going back again 50 years. We also got the monthly cattle on feed report Friday. It showed total cattle on feed at 11.2 million head, down 2%. Placements were up 3% and marketings down 5%. Boy, there was one big surprise, I think, and that was the placements. Placements were over 2% larger than a year ago. That's a fairly big number. We also had placements in May higher than a year ago. So we've got more cattle being placed, 
We do have fewer cattle on feed than a year ago, and so it hasn't changed that. But you would think with fewer cows, fewer calves to place, yet somehow we managed to, to place more than we did a year ago. Anderson says there continues to be a large number of heifers in feedlots, which indicates the cow herd will not grow anytime soon. We may get a voting Congress this week on a bill that would overturn the Biden administration's recent endangered species listing of the lesser prairie chicken. That's a listing that would affect farmers and ranchers throughout the Texas Panhandle and Southern Plains. National Cattlemen's Beef Association Director of Government Affairs and Public Lands Sigrid Johannes says the listing is unnecessary. So the lesser prairie chicken is a species that ranchers in Texas and across that sort of southern Great Plains region have been working to conserve for, you know, more than a decade now. And folks, you know, have sunk a lot of time and money into these voluntary conservation efforts to preserve, uh, you know, habitat for the species and and to support stronger population numbers. I think it's really a shame that you're getting this slap in the face from Fish and Wildlife saying that those efforts are not enough and that they want to impose this top-down approach from the federal government. The Senate passed the bill back in May with a 50 to 48 vote, but that's far from a veto-proof majority. Exports of U.S. beef are down this year. James Hunt takes a look at what's behind the slump. For all of our beef producers in the Texas High Plains and across the country, the export market is very important. In fact, it's estimated export sales of beef elevate the value of U.S. fed cattle by around $400 per head. Obviously, that's a very significant impact. And that's why it's not good news to hear that our beef exports year-to-date are down 10% in volume from a year ago. Some of the decline can be explained by the simple fact that 2022 was a massive record year for U.S. beef exports, so perhaps a little slippage this year is understandable. But Joe Sheely of the U.S. Meat Export Federation says another factor is the declining cattle inventory in our country. With less cattle to harvest, there's naturally less beef product to go around. 85% of the beef that's produced in the United States is consumed here. The domestic market is still king. And so when beef production is down, we really have less available to export. Another factor that's apparently holding down exports is this. In some of the Asian markets that are buying less U.S. beef now, there was a strategic move made last year to buy extra supplies. Some of the buyers were preparing for U.S. beef supplies to be down in 2023. They stocked up a bit toward the end of last year, and they're, in some cases, are working through those inventories. Coming up in tomorrow's report, we'll hear more from Joe Sheely of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, including how the economies of Mexico and Japan are affecting U.S. beef sales to those two very important export markets. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The hot, dry summer across much of Texas has increased the chances of wildfires. Tom Nicoletti has the story. My guest today is Adam Turner. He is a public information officer with the Texas A&M Forest Service. Uh, He is based in Mineral Wells. And Adam, uh, with the uh, very hot, dry conditions so far this summer across the state, uh, certainly people need to be aware of the potential for wildfires uh, in uh, rural and suburban and urban areas of the state. Uh, What is the latest on uh, the wildfire potential in the state at this point? 
over the course of this next week, starting uh, July 25th and moving through the rest of this week into the weekend, we are going to have a uh, extended period of kind of hot and dry and windy conditions. All of these lead to more drying for our wildland fuels, such as your grass and brush, and leads to a higher potential for wildfires all across the state, but mainly focused up and down the I-35 corridor as these areas get hotter and drier. Any particular areas right now where uh, wildfires are creating uh, havoc? Currently, we're responding to three wildfires across the state. We are working on two down in central Texas, one in San Saba County and one in Llano County, and then another up just northwest of Wichita Falls. Both of these areas have been active the past couple of weeks, as well as between 281 and I-35 area, just kind of west to Dallas-Fort Worth. This area has also been pretty active for wildfire over the past several weeks. So it's important for members of the public to remember that 90% of wildfires are caused by humans in this state. Anything that residents can do to reduce the overall number of wildfire starts helps out tremendously with avoiding long or significant wildfires occurring. So Something as simple as dragging a chain behind you down a road or blowing a tire on the side of a road can start a wildfire that can grow quite rapidly. That is Adam Turner. He is with the Texas A&M Forest Service in Mineral Wells. I'm Tom Nicoletti at the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The lack of rainfall and triple-digit temperatures are taking a toll on garden and landscape plants. Horticulturalist John Begno reports from San Angelo. Well, the heat is here, and it's been here for a while for a lot of us, and we do have a heat index for humans, not necessarily so much for plants, but they are definitely affected by not only the heat, but by by the sun, by the wind, by the humidity. We talked about that earlier in the year about how plants respond through transpiration to cool themselves. Well, what really happens in many plants is it's a game changer when it starts getting above 95 degrees, and we've been above 105 in many areas of Texas. Those plants struggle. They struggle in the daytime, of course, for photosynthesis is the way they exchange carbon dioxide and oxygen to manufacture food. This food being used to build vegetables, to make fruit, to fill pecans, to even just survive. And that's what's happening. They're in a survival mode right now for many plants. And the biggest game changer is how we apply water. We're going to have to shorten our frequency interval where we normally might water once every two weeks. Let's say on pecan trees, we're going to be watering once every week when we have temperatures in the hundred. Not only because the water disappears in the soil, but the plants are not able to get it quite as easily as when temperatures are cooler. Another thing to remember is just because the air temperature is 105 does not mean that the leaf surface is 105. It may be 120, 125, and that heat will not only scorch those leaves, but it can slow down the transpiration or the cooling process, and they'll, of course, going to wilt. And the answer to whether wilt is damaging is do they recover the next day? And some of these plants are not recovering very well because at night, temperatures are so warm, they do the opposite of photosynthesis. They breathe at night and they can't respire and keep up with that. And so they're kind of going to a decline. That's one of the reasons, for instance, crepe myrtles don't do real well in El Paso. They can't recover. So remember, it's very important that these plants don't struggle for water so that they can keep that turgor and stiffness in their leaf and breathe and photosynthesize. This is John Bagno reporting for Texas Ag Today from San Angelo. 
A deer in a breeding facility southwest of Corpus Christi has tested positive for chronic wasting disease. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And deworming horses can be a challenge. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Why do you listen? I just want to stay informed while I'm on the go. News on the radio, it's nice because it's just a quick snippet and I don't have to go searching for it or grab a paper. I listen to radio because anywhere that I'm going, I'm listening to music or I'm listening to a talk show or I'm just trying to stay up on current events. I always turn into the radio to see if I need to take shelter or where it's hitting to see what I need to be preparing for. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Deworming horses can be a challenge. Dr. Bob Judd says many parasites have now become resistant to certain dewormers. There is a lot of resistance to many of the dewormers on the market that are promoted to be effective. The main parasite we are concerned with in adult horses is small strongyles, and these are very resistant to pyrantel and fenbendazole. So deworming an adult horse with these products is useless in most cases. Pyrantel and finbendazole have some efficacy against roundworms, but these are only a real concern in young horses and donkeys, and resistance is developing for these parasites. Ivermectin and moxidectin are not very effective against roundworms either, but are still effective against the small strongyles, although some resistance is developing. So the most important item to remember about today's program is that many of the dewormers in the feed store are not effective in adult horses and are a waste of money. And since there are no new dewormers coming on the market in the near future, we have to think differently about deworming horses, as we cannot do the same as we did 40 years ago when all these dewormers were new and effective. At this point, we need to be smarter deworming, and this means as little deworming as possible and only when needed. To determine when a horse needs deworming, a fecal egg count can be performed by your veterinarian to determine which horses need deworming and when. The goal is not to kill every parasite, but to leave some susceptible parasites to compete with the resistant ones, and these susceptible ones are called refugia. If you deworm your horses every one to two months, like we did previously, all you are doing is killing off susceptible parasites and increasing resistance to dewormers. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A deer in a breeding facility southwest of Corpus Christi has tested positive for chronic wasting disease. Jessica Domel has the details in today's Wildlife Report. The fatal neurological deer disease that threatens the state's captive and wild deer populations, chronic wasting disease, has been found in a deer breeding facility west of Falfurius in Brooks County. According to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, a five-year-old white-tailed doe was transferred to the facility from a Frio County breeding facility that had a positive case of CWD. The doe was euthanized and tested for CWD as part of an epidemiological investigation. This is the first detection of CWD in Brooks County, which is southwest of Corpus Christi. TPWD reports this is the ninth deer breeding facility in Texas with a positive case of CWD this year. 
CWD was also reported in breeding facilities in Frio, Zavala, Sutton, Hamilton, Washington, Gonzales, Hunt, and Limestone counties this year. A free-ranging white-tailed deer in Bear County also tested positive. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission is expected to consider approving CWD containment and surveillance zones in the area where these deer tested positive for CWD at their August meeting. That meeting is August 23rd through the 24th in Austin. TPWD recently launched a new public awareness campaign on CWD. The campaign aims to share information with hunters and the public about how they can help protect Texas deer and curb the spread of CWD. Since it was first detected in Texas in 2012, more than 500 deer have tested positive for the disease. People can report deer that appear to be ill to a TPWD biologist or game warden. That contact information is available on the TPWD website. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmore. Cattle, corn, and hard wheat all ended in the red on Tuesday. Look at all the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Why do you listen? I typically listen here at work from my desk on my way to work in the morning. When we wake up, it goes on the radio. I can hear a song and be instantly transported back to a time in my life that I enjoy remembering. I think that's what I like listening to radio for is just to stay informed on whether it's news, sports, new music, anything. Why do you listen? Go to whyilisten.com, tell us why you listen, and you have a chance to win $500. Visit whyilisten.com today. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle complex closed lower once again on Tuesday with both live and feeder cattle ending in the red. August live cattle dropped 45 cents, 178.30. The October down 70, 179.60. With December live cattle down a dollar two, 183.30. Feeder cattle finishing lower also. August down two cents, two forty three twenty two. September feeder cattle down twenty seven, two forty six thirty five. With the October contract down twenty seven at two forty eight forty. Cash-fed cattle market mostly quiet so far this week. However, we did see some very light trade up in Iowa, one eighty eight to one ninety on a live basis. That's steady to two bucks higher. Other than that, things are still quiet. No bids or asking prices to report. Boxed beef prices higher Tuesday. Choice up a dollar seventy-eight, three hundred five ninety-four. Select up a dollar sixty-one at two seventy-eight sixty. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with my good buddy Larry Marble. Rodney Butler, Beeville Livestock, sells them on Friday. Son, how did it go? We had a good sale. We had a lot of black cattle this week, and they sold They sold good. I sold as good as the Charlays did the week before, sir. Well, good. Uh, talk to us about it. Walk the pens. All right, we had 370 head of cattle, no horses, and two goats. That old market was strong. 200, 300 pound steers were 225 to 315. Heifers, 233 to 275. Your three to 400 pound steers were 232 to 255. Heifers, $1.87 to 257. Your 400-500 pound steers were 211 to 258. Heifers 222 to 251. Your 500 to 600 pound steers were 207 to 240. Heifers were 207 to 239. Your 600 to 700 pound steers were 204 to 241. Heifers $1.92 to 207. 
and your 700 to 800 pound steers were 203 to 227 and uh, heifers were 188 to 208. Packer cows have been pretty steady, good cows selling good. They brought anywhere from 66 to $1.01. Bulls brought from 90 to $1.50 on a real good killing bull. Packer cows brought anywhere from 75 to $1.25 with some bred cows dollared out around that. Thousand fifty, and we had one pair this week, and she brought fourteen hundred, sir. Good deal. I looked at radar a while ago. Looked like there was a shower to your north. Yeah, it was. It was east of me here. It looked like it rained between Berkeley and Goliath a while ago. It sure did lighten. Cool things off this evening, but we didn't get very many drops here. Well, hopefully you'll catch some moisture and then a good sale next week. Tell everybody how to contact you, Rodney. Yes, sir. We do need some good rain around here. It's, it is burned up, but you can reach me here at Cell Barn at 361-358-1727. Or y'all can reach me on mobile, 645-5002. Neighbor looks to me like that's all the time they're going to give us for walking the pins here on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. But never fear, we'll be back tomorrow, Monday through Friday, right here on Texas Ag Today. Now back over to the futures market where lean hogs finish strongly higher Tuesday. August hogs up $1.55 at $101.65. October up $1.72, $84.37. Class 3 milk was mixed. The nearby July contract up a penny, $13.78, a hundredweight. With August milk down 14 cents, $17.32, a hundred. The cotton market had a nice bounce on Tuesday. Strong technical buying and production concerns with foreign cotton crops helping to boost prices higher. October cotton up 297 points, 88.55. December up 191 points at 87.07. Corn and hard wheat both saw a pullback after the big run-up in those markets on Monday. September corn was down 3 cents, 557 and a half. December corn down three, five sixty-five and a quarter, with March corn down two and three quarters, five seventy-five and a half. In the wheat complex, we did see a pullback on hard wheat, however, a slight gain on soft wheat. September Kansas City wheat down five and three quarters, nine twelve and three quarters. September Chicago wheat up two and three quarters at seven sixty and a quarter. In the energy markets, August natural gas was up three cents Tuesday, two seventy one. September West Texas crude oil up ninety one at seventy nine sixty five a barrel. The financial markets slightly higher Tuesday afternoon. The Dow up sixty seven points, thirty five thousand four seventy eight. The Nasdaq up one hundred twenty four points at fourteen thousand one eighty three. The S and P up twenty four thousand five seventy five. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.